This morning we're going to pick up our series of messages from, from 1 Timothy. Last time we concluded in chapter 3 with verse 13, so we're going to pick up with verse 14 of chapter 3, and then we'll read the whole of chapter 4 as well on page 1178 and 1179. And as you're turning to that, I just want to express again my appreciation. I tell you, when I uh, do, do my research and uh, study God's Word and put together the message, I appreciate so much Pastor Dave and the work and effort that he puts in. And we hear God's Word proclaimed faithfully. And what truly, what a blessing it is to be able to hear God's Word and have it affect us as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. This section is entitled, The Mystery of Godliness. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. 
Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We conclude God's reading at that point. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Church family at Ascalon CRC, as we pick up our study in 1 Timothy, I'd like to first of all quickly summarize a little bit of the background of this letter. We've talked about this before, but I think it's good just to refresh our minds. The author is the Apostle Paul. His younger colleague, Timothy, is the recipient of this particular letter. Paul had left Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus while he continued on his journey to Macedonia. And then realizing that he may not be able to return to Ephesus in the near future, he writes this letter, this first letter, to give some guidance and some advice to Timothy. Now, there are several areas of ministry that Paul addresses in this letter. For example, he reassures Timothy of his calling as a church leader. The responsibility of the charge that he has taken as the shepherd of the flock of God's people. Paul also warns Timothy of false teachers who were intent on disrupting the church and spreading false ideas. He reminds Timothy and also the church community at Ephesus of the richness of God's grace and the urgency of following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Paul encourages them to pray, especially for those in leadership and other positions of authority. And finally, he identifies the role of church leaders and the qualifications necessary for them to lead and to be in those positions of authority. So we move on this morning in our series, beginning with the three verses at the very end of chapter 3. And it's important for us to note that at this point we are exactly at the center of Paul's letter. Many commentators, Bible scholars, believe that the three verses at the end of chapter 3 are a statement of why Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. One Bible scholar writes, The great concern of this letter is how believers should conduct themselves, how they behave in their relationship to God, to each other, and to unbelievers in the world. Paul is urging Timothy and the believers under his care to remain strong in the Christian faith and in their convictions. 
And he's telling Timothy that that's an important role of the church, to guard the integrity of the gospel message. In my study of this passage, one commentator contends that Paul is here trying to rally the troops to remind them of who they are, their identity, and their purpose, their mission in life. Similar to the way that a football coach gathers together the players in the locker room during halftime to inspire and to motivate them. Perhaps the team is down by a few points and they need to regroup and they need to remember just what it is that makes them do their job well and function well as a team. Now there's a true account uh, about Vince Lombardi, Hall of Fame coach of the Green Bay Packers. During halftime, at an important playoff game, he was exasperated by the poor performance of his team. And so he held up a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. He got back to the basics. Perhaps that's an image we can keep in mind this morning as Paul is literally holding up important truths for us as a church, as a community of believers. First of all, he reviews the basic components of an effective church. There are three descriptions that we find in verses 14 and 15. First, he says that the church is the household of God. That's the first term. And what he's saying is it's composed of a body of people who have together committed themselves to become a family, a spiritual family, centered around God's revelation of who he is and focusing on Jesus Christ and his work of salvation. The household of God. Second, he uses the phrase, the church of the living God. In the original Greek language, the, the idea being expressed is a, an assembly or a gathering of people coming together for a specific purpose or calling. To follow Jesus in this case. To commit our lives to him and to live for him, the church of the living God. And finally, there's a third description. It speaks about the pillar and the buttress of the truth. Basically, it's that idea of the way in which you would build a building. You begin with a solid foundation. And of course, that's what gives the stability. And the pillars and that stabilize and support the building. So he is saying the church preserves and holds together or binds together the truth of God's word. When I started in ministry back in Michigan, I knew 
a Christian businessman, a contractor, and he started his own business. He called it Solid Ground Construction. And I thought that was a good name. Wouldn't you like to own a house built by solid ground construction versus quick build construction? In this portion of our passage, Paul is urging the church in Ephesus to be firmly placed on the foundation of God's word. He's reminding them that that is their very essence, their identity and purpose. He goes on then to state their mission. And he does it in one simple but very substantial statement. And it's found in verse 16. Many believe that this particular statement was a concise creed that was used in the early church in order to confirm that core gospel truth that is found in Jesus Christ and what he has done. It reads, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. One of the things that caught my attention is the action verbs that describe who Jesus is as the head of the church, manifested, vindicated, seen, proclaimed, believed, taken up. That is an essential truth. The life, the death, and resurrection, and ascension, and glorification of Jesus summarizes the true message of the church. It is the focus that we have as the people of God, as servants of Jesus Christ. So those three verses, I felt, deserved a little bit of attention. It's a wonderful preface to chapter 4, because chapter 4 then goes on to lay out the importance of being the body of Christ. Not just what is your identity and mission, but you need to be that. You need to live out that, that truth. Now, it's interesting, Paul begins chapter 4, the verse, verses 1 through 5, by identifying some false teachings that were circulating during that time. And I have to tell you up front, we're not going to spend our time unpacking what those false teachings were. But instead, I'm just going to quickly read a summary written by one author who says, The text reveals that the real perpetrators of heresy are not only the heretics themselves, but the evil spiritual forces that deceive them. Paul's emphasis is not so much on the human deceivers as on the supernatural powers that cause people to be deceived. So perhaps Paul is using these few verses at the beginning of chapter 4 to emphasize what happens when believers are not solidly grounded in the truth. It would make sense chronologically because Paul moves on in verse 6 to speak about being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So this morning, we're going to actually move to verses 7, 8, and 10. Paul says, 
train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul is saying, as God's children, we are to actively pursue godliness. And that takes effort and training. If we are to be diligent servants of the Lord, we must intentionally develop our spiritual muscles. I'm going to give you another football analogy. I'm sorry, for some reason, football kind of came out as I was looking at this passage. Terry Bradshaw is also regarded as a legend, a Hall of Famer. He was a quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1970 to 1983. When I looked up some of his accomplishments, he has a long list of career highlights and awards. But I can remember when he retired from football and became a studio analyst for CBS Sports. It was, he transitioned within one year's time. But within that time, I could hardly recognize him. He put on all sorts of weight. And suddenly he didn't look as intimidating as when he was playing professional ball. Well, that's what happens when you stop working out and training. A similar, a similar phenomena occurs if a believer stops training in godliness. Spiritual muscles can atrophy. Now what does it mean, that word godliness? Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is possible only through the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. We can be clothed in his righteousness. And then when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, we then bear fruit that shows to whom we belong. Paul identifies it as the fruit or the yeah, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A little bit later in the letter that we're looking at, 1 Timothy, Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Why is that? Because the focus of our hope is to be on our living God. And more specifically, the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is the way to the Father. And when that is the case, we will experience contentment. We will trust him to guide us through all circumstances in life. Now, just a couple of observations. Again, we're not going to get into all of the instructions that Paul gives specifically to Timothy as a leader. But we're going to look a little closer at 
godliness and training for godliness. And notice, first of all, that there's a personal responsibility as we pursue godliness. In our text, Paul says, train yourselves. And the passage we read from Ephesians 4 says, put on the new self. So there's some sort of action, some sort of initiative that we are responsible for. We immerse ourselves in God's word. And I appreciate that that's the message that the children received this morning. Every day, immerse yourself in learning more about God by reading the Bible. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So we must spend time reading and meditating on God's word. That's how spiritual growth occurs. As we read, as we study, as we meditate, as we approach God in prayer. And as we do so, we begin to understand and begin to comprehend the incredible depth of God's love. And that, in turn, creates a desire and a yearning within us to be here to be part of the community of Christ, of fellow believers, to join in worship of God and lifting up his holy name. One pastor states, I need to spend more time meditating on the love of Christ, enjoying his presence with me, enjoying my fellowship with him, why? Because it will benefit me now in that it will help me in my relationship with God and my relationship with those among whom I minister. And because it will benefit me in the life to come in that it will prepare me for standing in the presence of God himself in all of his glory. Now that requires commitment personal responsibility means taking initiative and being committed. Are you committed to developing your walk with God? Paul says it shows up in our conduct, in our behavior. It means that as we train, we seek to be more patient, more peaceful, more compassionate, more humble, more self-controlled, and more content. John Owen, a prolific author back in the Puritan ages, has some suggestions on how to cultivate training in godliness. He says, first of all, begin or start with the gospel. Don't 
start with your own effort. But start by recognizing what Jesus Christ has done in our lives and what the Holy Spirit is doing in transforming us. We cannot seek godliness or holiness apart from Jesus. It just doesn't work. God works changes in the hearts of people when the gospel message is proclaimed because that's when the Holy Spirit works. Start with the gospel. Second, focus on thinking. According to Owen, our behavior follows the orientation of our affections. What is it that we really care about? What is really important in our lives? We can't expect to grow in our faith and develop these po positive spiritual emphases if we spend our time focusing on that which is not holy and healthy and wholesome. What he's saying is there's a correlation, a direct correlation between if you decrease your time spent in God's word and meditating and prayer, there is then a corresponding decrease in your Christ-likeness. Holiness declines when we move our thoughts and our attention away from the depth of the joy of salvation that we have in Jesus and the wonder of the gospel message. Start with the gospel, focus on thinking. Third, remove sin by the roots. Sinful habits, set patterns of negative thoughts and behavior must be removed. Author Martin Lloyd-Jones uses the image of digging down deep in order to take out the roots to remove a weed. <clears throat> If you just mow over top of the weed, it's going to come back. But if you dig deeply and take it out by the roots, it will be removed. He says, when we focus on Jesus and being faithful to him, the allure of sin begins to fade. Finally, he says, be clothed with Christ's character. Paul often uses a simple metaphor. He talks about believers putting on their new identity in Christ. Clothe yourself with that character that fits who you are in Jesus. Now, sometimes people think godliness is pretending to be something that you're not. Trying to look good. Trying to do what is right. But that's inauthentic. In reality, training in godliness is becoming who you are made to be in Jesus Christ. Dress yourself with Christ-likeness. And the main task of the Holy Spirit is to work transformation so that 
our character is being conformed or transformed more and more after that of Christ, our Savior. Commit to being the best you are in the service of our great and glorious Savior. Let's join together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for the reminders of the importance of the church in proclaiming the truth and standing firm on the solid foundation of the truth. Lord, we thank you as well for Paul's urging to train in godliness, to pursue it, to spend time with you, meditating, to take time out of our day specifically for the purpose of fellowship with you. And we do pray, Lord, that we would experience the Holy Spirit transforming our lives, that sinful thoughts and patterns of behavior would no longer hold any temptation or allure, especially compared to the joy of having Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and the anticipation and hope of being in the presence of your glory. Lord, we thank you for your church. We pray for leaders as they proclaim your word. And we ask, Lord, that as that word goes forth, many would be encouraged and challenged and realize that worship is not only something that happens here in the church building, but it's what we do. It's rooted in who we are as your image bears and as those being conformed to the image of Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.